Today on Physically Spiritual, I'm excited to have a conversation with Dr. Ian Murphy about overcoming vice, weight loss, in his new book, The Road to Self-Awareness. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Well, today I'm, I'm honored to talk with Dr. Ian Murphy. Uh, Dr. Murphy experienced a conversion from uh, being a pastor of a Baptist church to the Catholic church. Uh, he then shifted his career and became a professor of theology, and most recently at Divine Mercy University. His autobiography entitled Dying to Live from Agnostic to Baptist to Catholic, which includes a foreword by Scott Hahn, was published by Ignatius Press. His second book was just published by Sophia Institute Press entitled The Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians. Uh, Ian currently works as a full-time Catholic writer and speaker and resides near Charleston, South Carolina with his wife, Rachel. Welcome to the show, Dr. Murphy. Thank you so much for having me. I've got to say, Andrew, I, a few of my students at Divine Mercy University were huge fans of Physically Spiritual. When they heard about the book, they said, getting on that show is a must interview for that book. And so it's extra exciting to be here because that you had a cult following among my students. It's really great to meet you. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for that. You never know where the podcast ends up. So it's always good to hear it. It, uh, it ends up in good hands and in good ears. Um, so I always start like talking to every guest with just the idea of how, how their story has led into what they do. Um, and I think this is a beautiful connection with your book because the, for those in the audience who haven't gotten the book yet, and there'll be links in the show notes to Dr. Murphy's page, dranmurphy.com, and also to where you can get the book. Basically, um, he shares the story of weight loss, but couches it in really a framework of understanding the human person and spirituality that can be applied to any vice, any problem. So it's there's like story in it, which is awesome, but then there's also like good simply explained but deep theology and spirituality but then a lot of like practical application too uh so yeah could you just kind of let the audience in on your story of where this book came from i'd be happy to uh as you had mentioned the title of my conversion story agnostic to baptist to catholic uh it's uh a lot due to my stubbornness a dramatic story because god had to keep hitting me two by fours to get through to me. Uh, my, I came out of agnosticism when I prayed a scary prayer. If I'm going to come to faith, I need to be allowed to touch the spiritual realm for myself to believe like you did for Thomas. You know how they say, be careful what you pray for. You might just get it. I came to faith through God allowing a physical experience of spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm that gave me my much sought after proof this uh demon a fallen angel that left when i called upon the name of jesus christ wow. so uh, boy that 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 sure convinced me and kind of launched my ministry to other skeptics and agnostics atheists doubting thomases like i used to be mm -hmm. and then that kind of reaches a fever pitch when i graduated high school and my high school tried to censor my graduation speech about Jesus. Well, this blows up into a nationwide free speech controversy, gets the attention of a Pennsylvania Senator Arlen Specter, uh, drafted a bill in my honor that was later signed into law. So with my name being Ian Murphy, I suppose I gave new definition to Murphy's law. It is still <laughs> on the books. And all that momentum launches this uh, really public ministry very quickly. I was already ordained, licensed, and the full-time head pastor of my own Baptist church in the heart of the Bible Belt, still in my 20s. Wow. And that brings us to this second book. During, during my years as a Protestant minister, I'd never connected the physical with the spiritual. Hmm. You know, I, those were always on different channels. And from a theological point of view, it was very Gnostic. Uh, this is also a popular idea in Hinduism and in Buddhism, that, that we're basically good spirits trapped 
in this wicked flesh longing for escape and that i would never have worded it that way but that was basically the idea i had as a protestant i mean even in my own preaching it was all spiritual ticket to heaven assurance of your eternal soul salvation but as far as your day-to-day living man if you need any help with that go to dr phil like somewhere was missing this idea that jesus is a great physician and, and and that we are made in God's image and likeness, and God is complex as Trinity. You know, of course, we're not three persons, we're one person, but still we're made in the image of complexity, and we're complex. We're multiple things that are one thing. We're body and soul yeah. together. And I paid no attention to that union, and I paid no attention to my body. Hmm. And during my time as the Baptist preacher, I was addicted to food as a coping mechanism for stress. I was a slave to the vice of gluttony. And even though it's clear in Scripture that this is a sin, I would even brag about how many cheeseburgers I ate. My sermon and my congregation would laugh. Again, it was on different channels. That connection was missing. And, you know, one day I, I, I sit down, I'll never forget this, and the button on my sports coat with my giant belly popped over my belt and blew my sports coat open and popped that single button off. It shoots like a projectile missile whistling across the ring. Could have shot somebody's eye out. Pops against the wall. I think it, this was somehow my wake-up call. I've got a problem here. I pull out an old scale. I hadn't stepped on a scale in years, obviously. I get on it. I weighed over 300 pounds at just five foot 10. And it wasn't because of depression or, or a hormone imbalance. No, it was gluttony in my case, a lack of the virtue of self-control. And I was blinded by, it. I didn't even see it. I called up my sister. I was like, Sarah, am I fat? She's like, you didn't know. <laughs> I didn't see it. I just, it, it, it I, I saw the power we surrender to the lies the enemy tells us and the lies we tell ourselves. And eventually I was drawn to Aristotle who puts it like this. Vice has this way of expelling rational calculation. Yeah. It it hinders our ability to see ourselves clearly. It makes us blind and stupid, mm. making sin and ignorance the twofold darkness strange bedfellows as aquinas puts it the twofold darkness into which we were born it's not just sin it's that we're ignorant of it we don't even know anything's wrong with it so that was my wake-up call and this all coincided with my time in rcia and becoming catholic Hmm. and the catholic church is what showed me that we can't have these two different channels of you know, body on one channel, daily living on one channel, and then our spiritual life on another, as though salvation has everything to do with eternity, but nothing to do with today. Mm. And when Jesus said, you know, his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. As we know, as Catholics, matter matters. Mm. But when in my Protestant years, I was missing that connection, and I was a slave to gluttony as a result. I can relate to a lot of that. I was I was agnostic in junior high, and um, I didn't know it at the time, but I know now that's what I was. And I, my faith started with one of those prayers. Now, there wasn't a demon involved. There were lots of demons involved, but they didn't manifest, let's put it that way. What? But uh, there was a nun that just made, would make us go to Eucharistic Adoration when we were preparing for confirmation, and my parents were sending me to a Catholic school. So I just prayed one day, Lord, I know what I'm doing now isn't right because of how I feel. I was very depressed. And I said, if you're real, show me. And I walked out of the church that day believing everything. You know, so those those scary prayers. Um, but but what you talked about there of like how sin wounds our nature, our human nature, right? Like rationality and free will aren't guaranteed. Right? We can actually become like the animals again uh, if we fall into vice. This idea makes me think of... Um, Oh, C.S. Lewis's great series, The Chronicles of Narnia, in the last battle, 
right? There's these animals who are being very wicked and, and, uh, you know, the lion Aslan's given them the power of speech when they're created. There's talking animals and not talking animals or rational animals and not rational animals. And what happens in the last battle is as a result of their wickedness, some of the animals forget how to talk. Yes. Uh, and it like illustrates this effect that sin damages our human nature. Uh, like you said, the darkening of the mind, the turning of the will towards evil, and then how we get out of touch with reality. Yes. Um, you know, I had a, I had a similar experience as you. I, I at one time was probably about 400 pounds. And the thing was my scale at home only went up to 350. So like, I just knew I was bigger than the scale had a number for. And I remember being at my parents' house and their scale went higher one. It was uh, new year's day. I stepped on the scale and it said I was about 380 and I was shocked. I was, you know, 40 pounds heavier than I thought I was. Um, and just how, how blind I was to reality and how that wake up call of like, I, I basically like the way that I understood my life two decades disappeared <laughs> from the way I thought about my future. Um, you know, and, and yeah, we, we really can just be blind to truth and blind to reality in our sin. Absolutely. And I think it's uh, Aquinas says, you know, on this side of eternity, sin can never totally destroy the image of God within mm -hmm. us, but it can diminish it. Yes. Specific, that, that, that animal soul, as Aristotle words it, and as Lewis so poetically describes it, you know, that we can become more animal-like. We can become yeah. less and less fully human mm -hmm. as sin diminishes God's image within us. Uh, and specifically, it diminishes our desire for virtue. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, as I came to find out, as a Catholic, virtues are simply the qualities of love. It's right there in Scripture. Love is patient. Love is kind. Patience yeah. and kindness were virtues. And God is love. So, I mean, God is patient. God is kind. God is merciful. God is just. He, he's humble. He's all, those are all virtues. We're made in God's image. Hmm. So we're most fully human when we're merciful and meek and humble and courageous and self-controlled. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember trying, you know, one diet after the next only to gain all the weight back. You know, I turned I turn to the secular world of, of quick fixes, you know, that's, that uh, committed the Pelagian error, error that I'm able to save myself right through my own strength. And, it, you know, one after the next failed. Mm -hmm. And then I started to see they all had something in common. Again, none of them were attending to the union of the physical and the spiritual. You know, they were all falling into that that ignorance. You know, as a side note, it's interesting that neurosis, from a psychological perspective, refers to a partial break with reality. Mm. Psychosis refers to a total break with reality. Well, this is the effect effect of sin and vice. Yeah. We we don't see reality clearly. We don't understand God clearly. We don't understand ourselves clearly. We become more animalistic. The image of God in us diminishes. Our desire for virtue, for those qualities that define who God meant us to be, our desire for that diminishes. I think also from the last battle, as the fallen dwarves are going to hell, basically, they're actually boasting about their own cunning. Hmm. They're actually proud of their own understanding as they march into eternal damnation. They're that blind, you know, by, blinded by their arrogance. And so that, that humility it took, you know, you ask, Augustine says, if you ask me what the first thing is in religion, I would say that the first, the second, and the third are humility, humility, and humility. I had to be aware that I was blind yeah. and I had to be aware that I had to change and I had to defer to something other than my own darkened self-destructive disorder. 
I had to allow that authority. I had to allow the grace. I had to admit my total inability to do this on my own strength. And I had to attend to both the physical and the spiritual. Yeah. And, and only when, when I did that did I get out of that world of solving a problem. You know, and all these secular approaches that were all solving a problem as though I'm just a problem to be fixed. Yeah. And then God tells me, you're not just a problem to be fixed. You're my beloved. Mm. You know, I call you the temple of my spirit. I call you bride. I call you child, brother, and friend. You know, I, this is, you're not a problem to be fixed. You're my covenant partner. You're my friend. And he had prosperity, flourishing substantial happiness for me you know and I, I thought about you know back in my agnostic and, and then protestant years any issues in life were always problems to be solved and I even looked at myself like a problem to be solved and even when i came to faith initially i saw it as a matter of what i'm saved from the problem i'm saved from and then the church opened my eyes to yes there's also what you're saved for, not just the problem, the sin you're saved from, but the life you're saved for. He gave himself for the life of the world. What does that vitality look like? What does that plans to prosper you, as it says I think in Jeremiah, what does that look like? And it just, oh, it just blew my doors off that there was more to this whole salvation thing than a ticket to heaven. You know, that there, there was more to it than solving a sin problem. That there was a substantial what I'm saved for, life now, a reasonable happiness now, his kingdom advancing on earth as it is in heaven, getting yeah. a taste of that now. I was missing out on all of that. It was all problem-solving, pain alleviation, symptom management. But what was I saved for and that's what my eyes started to open to namely in a word virtue those qualities of love that are part of who god meant me to be that are at the core of what really is going to make me happy yeah that that page of the book where you draw out the connection of virtue and love i think i just highlighted the whole page because <laughs> um, it you know it, it's obvious when you think of it but honestly i've I've never made that connection quite the way you did. Um, in reflecting on it, it strikes me <clears throat> it strikes me two ways. One that a foundation of our virtue is being loved, right? It's that being God's beloved son. And it struck me as I was reading your story, like almost every event has a relational dynamic. It's like that conversation with you and your sister, the interactions between you and your students the interactions between you and your wife. So like there's this deeply relational kind of like thread through the whole text um, where it's like God's loving you, but also God's loving you through the people in your life. But then also like you being virtuous is then you like reciprocating that love for them, right? It's you loving well in the world around you. Um, yeah, so that, that was a really penetrating insight. And um I think it's important because when, when people hear the term virtue, a lot of times, like virtue ethics can be daunting because there's a ton of terms. It's like you got theological virtues and you have cardinal virtues and each virtue has like subcategories or directed toward what the end of the action is. And, and it, it can be like word salad for people to learn about the virtues. But when I think you break it down to like to be virtuous is to love, um, you know, people can get their minds around that a little better. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. That was my same experience. And I, I even saw theologians debating about, you know, the different virtues should be cardinal than the ones that mm. are called cardinal. I suggest that the different four named cardinal theological versus, I, I just, I like the way the saints actually simplify it. Yeah. Like St. Augustine says, I hold virtue to be nothing else than perfect love of God and he just it virtues love and if you stay there you're already so far ahead of the curve or Aquinas you know for as much as he distinguishes and breaks it down as a philosopher he also 
keeps it all united and in the end says, because all virtues are qualities of love, they're all united. They're all love. Therefore, if you work on one of them, you're working on all of them. Yeah. You know, on the flip side, it's like debating about which of the deadly sins is the deadliest. It's like, well, is the person who's killed by pride more dead than the person who's killed by gluttony? I mean, in, in the end, we it is childlike in its simplicity, mm. and the little children can lead the way. And I saw that in my case with the virtue of self-control, that if I was working on that, I was working on all the virtues and becoming more loving in all those relationships. You know, we're relational beings. This is all about love. So like you said, that relational narrative thread throughout my whole journey, we can't heal in isolation. Mm -mm. It's love that transforms us. It's love that moves us, love that heals us. And so as I grew in that one quality of love, the virtue of self-control, I started to see, well, self-control takes courage. It takes courage to face your demons, figurative and literal, and allow God's grace and stand up to them and make changes. It's also wise to take better care of yourself with you know, exercise and proper diet and honor the temple of the Holy Spirit as we've been asked to do. You know, that's a wise decision. It's courageous. It's just towards the people who love me and were worried about my health. I mean, at, at over 300 pounds, just five foot 10, I was headed into an early heart attack or a, a premature death to the heartbreak of the people who cared about me. So it was yeah. just toward them for me to take better care of myself. You know, I said, gluttony is a deadly sin indeed, quite literally. I came to see it as a dawdling form of suicide. Hmm. I had found a way to slowly destroy myself. And uh, facing that, yeah, it was wise. It took courage. It was all the virtues. So I could keep it childlike simple and know if I'm working on self-control, I'm working on all the virtues, whether they're theological or cardinal or, you know, if they're infused or developed or both. <laughs> You know, with all those, all that word salad, if I'm working on one, I'm becoming a more loving person. Therefore, I'm being repaired by grace in who I truly am as a reflection of God's love. And the repairing of the human being, well, that's what healing is. Hmm. You know, not managing symptoms, not alleviating pain, not avoiding suffering, not solving problems, because we're not problems to be fixed. Yeah. We're God's beloved. So in the end, what is healing? It's the repairing of who we truly are, hmm. which is reflections of perfect love. Hmm. And so I, the way I worked on uh, self-control, I got out a sticker chart. I was like, let's keep it childlike. You've got this professor in his 40s using stickers. Like I'm in kindergarten. I had to humbly be aware that I still need stickers. I'm coming. I'm in spiritual kindergarten, you know, you yeah. got a PhD in the kingdom of this world. Where am I at on the road to sainthood? I'm in kindergarten, you know, or preschool maybe. So I need my stickers and I, and they work, you know, I might not want to get on the treadmill, but darn it, I want my sticker. I have these sticker charts to keep me accountable. I could take them to prayer. And that's when I started to see the power of habit formation that through repetition, these little baby steps, yeah, they were tiny. They were just little baby steps. You know, I didn't lose 100 pounds by losing 100 pounds. I lost 100 pounds by losing one pound yep. after times. You know, they're just baby steps. God doesn't ask a sapling to hold up a tree house. Mm. It's merciful. It's just the next baby step. But those tiny baby steps don't stay tiny. They're like tiny mustard seeds. With this God, the mustard seed always wins. It ends up taking over the garden. Through repetition, you keep doing that virtuous action, it internalizes as a second nature routine. It's the power of habit. Like how brushing your teeth, doing it enough time, it just feels like second nature. And that's how exercise started to feel. 
yeah. the first time I got a treadmill, I thought, is it always going to be this hard? The weight smell bad. My body hurts. I didn't lose any weight. And I'm miserable. Is it always going to be this hard? And the answer was no. It was only going to be that hard about 27 more times. Hmm. Because the 28th time I stepped onto the treadmill, the habit switch was flipped. If I realized, wait, this is just part of my day. My day doesn't feel complete without it. It's a, it's just second nature, it's just routine, just like brushing my teeth or eating breakfast to get on the treadmill. Thomas Aquinas was right. Through repetition, these become new tendencies. Yeah. Now I'm inclined to do it. I'm disposed to exercise. And if you keep up with that, it ends up shaping your character. Now I'm a healthier man. Or actions through repetition internalize into second nature habits, which in turn shape who we're becoming. And that is what that graced transformation process looks like. It's my favorite part of this book is it can accompany people step by step if they're caught in that funk, if they love Jesus, but they just they feel stuck in something and they don't know the way out. This book is that step-by-step -step accompaniment to just hold their hand one baby step at a time and get out and find out that victory is inevitable because of who Jesus is. It's an accompaniment for, for somebody to find out what it is to be more than a conqueror in Christ. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to dwell on that chart a little bit. So I think an important distinction that people miss is the distinction between strategy and tactics. Um, you know, and I think oftentimes people will like read the life of a saint and then try to imitate their behavior. And oftentimes I think the saints communicate to us good strategies, but we still need to figure out what tactics to do. Being the strategy is like the sort of thing to do. The tactic is what I'm actually going to be doing. And with that chart, it was a real practical way um, to lay out your tactics, right? Um, you could listen to some diet guru and try to do what they did, or you could, you know, read the life of a saint and do what they do, but, or you can try to translate that into your context. And so much of what that chart was, I think was, um, like you understood what the virtue was. You understood the theology, you understood your body to some extent, but then translating that into your life, you put specific things on that chart and the chart itself was a tactic. So like, what were some of those things for you, like those tactics that went on the chart? Uh, for me, I'd like have one of my charts that I still use though. Nice. Um, but, um, you know, because I'd, I'm not saintly in this area yet. I mean, I still, I've not hit my ideal weight. Yeah. Uh, so I still use the sticker charts, but at least a lot of these things have become habitual. Uh, mm -hmm. they include the answer your question, uh, the treadmill daily for at least 20 minutes. Nice. And I, I set it on it for me. It works to set it on the max incline and a slower speed that I can stay on it longer. It's uh, really good for a fat burn. Yeah. You know, you also get some good cardio from that, but by staying on it longer at a higher incline, you know, you don't get as winded at a slower speed, but that high incline, it's a fat burn. Exercise. I do that. Every day, if I do it, I get my sticker there. Hmm. Another one for me, I just call it tiny dinner. Huh. And tiny dinner is just what it sounds like, is a reduced portion. And I have to do tiny dinner three days out of seven. And I can pick the days, but I can see, you know, from the smiles, like when I'm doing it, I can see trends. And I can take these charts to prayer. Uh, so I've got tiny. Another one is no seafood. But I don't mean S-E-A seafood. I mean the letter C. I cannot believe how many foods that are bad for me start with C. Mm -hmm. You know, carrot cake, cotton candy, carbohydrates, cheese, cream, chips, crackers, cow. I mean, it's hilarious how many. So I just have no seafoods, the letter C hyphen foods. And that day I can't have cereal. I can't have chocolate. <laughs> I can't have any seafoods. Well, that's going to naturally force me to beans, celery, eggs, things that don't start with C, and I'm going to have inevitably less carbs that day. So I have a few tiny dinners, a few no seafoods, uh, no nightcaps through the week, 
um, only on the weekend can I have a, like a beer with dinner that's water through the week, uh, treadmill every day. But I also have some ones that might feel counterintuitive to diet, exercise, self-care, self-control, like sit outside and, and pray outside by the bird feet, hmm. you know, a leisurely hobby. And I don't mean leisure as a break from work because as important as a break from work is, we've got to take those. That's still part of the world of work, hmm. not a, an absence of work, no leisure in its own right as some substantial positive hobby that exists for its own sake, not as not, not even defined according to the world of work and to just watch these winged critters show up and see the foul poli politics surrounding the peanut feeder with the cardinals and blue jays and the painted buntings, these woodpeckers. They're hilarious. I named them. I watch them eat their peanuts and just praying in the middle of this scene outside in our little backyard. It, it's just that natural reminder that we were meant for more. Hmm. We were not meant for concrete jungles. We were meant for Eden and yeah. Eden paradise, naming the critters. And it just, it's just a visceral reminder that God has bigger plans, that that nothing is what it seems, and he's got plans to prosper us that no eye has seen, ear heard, nor art even can see what he has in store for those who love him. And it just it gets me away from a screen, and it's, it's a nice, tangible, natural reminder hmm. while I'm praying of a bigger picture. So it really helps to have those hobbies on the sticker chart too, but yeah, uh, no nightcaps during the weeknights, exercise daily, tiny dinner, no seafoods. Those are some of my specific yeah. ones on, on, on my accountability spreadsheet. No, I think that's great. Yeah. So as people are listening to that, think of not, I'm going to do what Dr. Murphy did, but how can I think through the tactics of my life similarly? I think the chart's really important because the part of our neuroarchitecture that handles aspirations or hopes is different than what actually handles our choices, right? So a lot of people think they want to lose weight, but they really have like an aspiration to lose weight. They haven't really made a choice. Um, and actually like putting it on a chart, hanging that chart up on the wall, getting like the stickers out, like that's a lot of, it might not seem like a lot, but there's a lot of commitment to that. Like the willingness yeah. to actually put it on paper and then put it where other people can find it and then track it every day. Like that's moving that aspiration into a plan, you know, going from hoping to choosing. Um, and that's really powerful. It's powerful neurologically and it's also powerful spiritually, I think. Um, yeah, so I, I love that, that, that real simple tool, but it's a powerful tool. That's an outstanding insight. Uh, hearty amen to all of that. You're so right. It's that move, you know, from part of our brain that handles aspiration to the part that handles choice yeah. from the strategy to the tactic. Yeah. So it, you, you're just so right. In fact, one of the very first one on my chart, the first requirement is read the chart. <laughs> I get a sticker just for reading the chart because if, if my faithfulness to attaching the stickers and read and reminding myself what's on the docket for that day, as far as my duties, you know, like if I don't make reading the chart a requirement, I won't even read the chart and the whole thing will fall apart. So read the charts, the very first requirement, and I get a sticker just for doing that, you know, just to keep me accountable to accountability. Hmm. You know, yeah. again, these are incredibly useful in prayer. It takes all but a few seconds to read it. And then at the end of the day, apply the stickers and see where I'm at for the week and then at the end of the week, like those smiles, well, those are grace successes. I can thank the Lord for the grace in those areas. Look, it's happening. I'm that, I'm that many repetitions closer to a new internalized tendency. That's the power of ha habit formation is what used to be just an aspiration can now become an inclination. Hmm. Once it internalizes through habit, it, it can become what you tend to choose. 
what you're what you have a propensity to choose. You're inclined to it. It's a disposition. It's second nature. It kind of takes you know how aspiration and, and will start out fractured, kind of helps recohere them in our and heals us. Yeah. You know, it makes the body and soul whole again. Yep. A lot of times it feels like our body and soul are at war with each other. But in really, I think what St. Paul's actually describing is that they're at war with disorder. Hmm. And that war with disorder makes it feel like they're at war with each other. Yeah. But the way to bring them whole for inner wholeness, which is what the secular world of self-help and therapy is seeking, inner wholeness, well, that literally comes from physically and spiritually being one. When your natural side and your soul side are on the same page, well, that's wholeness. When they're well-ordered, they come into alignment with God's will. There's your inner wholeness. But when they're battling disorder, well, that's when it feel like they're actually at war with one another. Hmm. And so, yeah, that's I just love how you put that aspiration and the will this is how they can become whole again the uh the power of habit this that through repetition what was once a daunting chore a, a far-off dream but for some reason i don't ever choose it how does saint paul's i do the things i don't want to do i don't do the things i know i should i'm a mystery to myself hmm. yeah you know, we we can all relate with that if we're honest with ourselves or saint john if somebody says they have no sin they're lying which is a sin you know, everyone who's honest with themselves can relate with that. But how can we become well-ordered? How can we advance in charity? Now, God, what you ask is impossible. Yes, but with me, nothing's impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. You know, that the grace is sufficient, and this is what it looks like. It looks like mustard seeds. It looks like these baby steps that by repeating them, internalize and now we tend to do what was once just a dream hmm. that seemed at odds with our will. I think what one thing you bring out in the book, but also you're, you're touching on here, is that, that virtue doesn't just like build a, a habit. It's also a healing of the faculties, right? So, so sin wounds our faculties, darkens our mind, turns our will towards evil, weakens our passions. Like it, 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 it sort of disintegrates our human nature Virtue has the opposite effect, integrates our human nature, heals our faculties. And, and really, I love the way that Aquinas lays out the cardinal virtues with the faculties of the soul, that prudence is the expression of healed reason. And, um, you know, that uh, justice is the expression of a healed will. And that temperance is the expression of healing toward our concupiscible appetites and, and fortitude towards our raspable appetites. Um, yes. So there's this, this way that, that virtue isn't just like a momentum in our will toward doing the same thing again and again, but it's something deeper that's happening in our human person. It all, it all started with a, a rupture of trust. Hmm. I mean, the original sin, it starts with them doubting their father. And once they doubt their father, and that instead of a loving provider, he became interested in power. Hmm. You know, interesting how Nietzsche looks at the core of humanity and sees the will to power. Hmm. But that's not at the core of humanity. Love is. That was the original lie, is that at the center of it all is it's power. But when God walked among us, he says, it's just another power is just another tool in love service love god with all your mind with all your strength all your power with, you know with all your heart mind strength it's all for love and i noticed that you know after the liar tells eve you know you know it starts this dialogue you know she she's he asks her you know what did god say to you and she says well, he says, um, you can't even touch it. Hmm. She puts words in God's mouth. God never said that. Yeah. She's already 
making her heavenly father sound more demanding than he was. Yes, he said, don't eat it, but he never said you can't even touch it. You know, you can almost hear her like going, we're not even allowed to look at this one. Like, when did he say that? She's already making him sound more demanding than, than he is. You can already see the lie at work. Yeah. Or he already provided trees beautiful to the eyes, pleasing to the eyes, good for food, even the tree of life, everything desirable for their life. was Everything they found tempting was already provided. The thing is, once they misunderstood God, that attack on their image of God was also an attack on self-image hmm. because we're made in the image of God. So as soon as you misunderstand God, your self-image has been attacked. And that's that fracture, that rupture within ourselves between aspirations and will, this sense of war between the flesh and the spirit, and that need for healing, you know, and this is why the qualities of love heal those things. They heal, this is what healed prudence looks like. This is what healed irascible passions look like, you know, our, our tendency to buck against authority. Well, when that's, there are some powers we should buck against. That has a healed version, um, or or concupiscible passions, our desires for power. Well, there are there is power we should desire, you know, according to our vocation, where we're responsible to love with love and responsibility. You know, to to have that healed by virtue, all these things have their healed version, but underneath all of it is a healed God image mm. that He is the loving Father he said he was and always is and always will be and is good all the time and then immediately from that is a healed self-image because i'm fundamentally a reflection of god so a healed god image and a healed self and then a healed image of neighbor like this this is undergirding all these other aspects of us that are being healed through virtue. It's all yeah. very exciting because the, the healed self is the best self and it's, and it's the happy self. Yeah. Yeah. Happy self, a prefigurement of heaven. And also I think it's important to note that, that virtue also heals the body, right? You have a great section in the book where you talk about neuroplasticity and you say that virtue rewires the brain. So this isn't, just a, a spiritual phenomenon. You know, this is the whole person that's being affected by these behaviors. Um, you know, I, I often reflect on this, that like so much of Jesus's public ministry, yes, he was teaching the apostles a lot and certainly they were receiving grace through their relationship with Christ. But in a real simple, like fleshy way, Jesus was also like rewiring the apostles' nervous systems by spending three years with them. Um, so uh, this idea that virtue rewires the brain uh, in that, that I think virtue also like mediates the experience of God to the body. Um, so like so much of our spiritual life, our body is also reacting to what's happening in our prayer in the way that God's interacting with us. Um, like I, I made the same mistake early in my conversion was I thought I had these sort of spiritual activities and I had physical activities. It's like I, I go and I exercise and that's my physical health and then I'll go pray and that's my spiritual health. As if when I prayed, my brain wasn't firing and my body wasn't adjusting. And then when I was exercising, I wasn't growing in virtue or something, right? It, it was me. I'm a person, body and soul, and I was doing all of it. Um, so this idea that virtue rewires the brain is really powerful. Yeah, it shows that inherent union. I mean, we do have a body. We do have a soul. Or, I, I, you know, I've heard it said we are a soul that has a body. I think the problem with those depictions is that it's a unity, a body-soul union. Uh, they can't be split. You know, it, every one of our bodily faculties engages our spirituality, and every one of our spiritual faculties engages our body. Yeah. You know, yes, we have embodied emotions and we have ensouled emotions, like our deepest longings as opposed to basic fight or flight, you know. Mm -hmm. But basic fight or flight engages the soul in its expression. 
And our deepest passion and longings engage the body, manifest to the body in their expression. I mean, in reality, they're inseparable. You know, and uh, as as an amplification of what you're saying, I, I'm thinking about how Jesus kept saying, fear not, fear mm-hmm. not, fear not. They've actually shown that when you're in fear, you're not actually operating with your full mental capacity. Fear roots in a more basic part of the brain, like the more fight or flight instinct reflex you know, it, it, it's actually a lot of fears coming from the spine rather than the brain. I've studied it, you know, just yeah, panic, yeah. for example. You, that, and you're not thinking rationally when you're afraid. And Jesus knows this. It's as though the designer of the human mind knew that for people to even process the good news he had to offer them, they couldn't be operating from this primal part of themselves that doesn't engage their full spiritual side, their full reason, their full conscience. He he needed them thinking clearly to even hear the Beatitudes. You know, if they're simply panicking because he's not being Messiah the way they expected, that panic is going to block them from receiving anything he had to say. So just yet another example, just as, you know, virtue rewires our synaptic pathways. That's how habit formation happens. There's something physiological taking place. The reason something that used to be just an aspiration, but was so hard to do now feels like a second nature routine. Now a new disposition, I'm actually disposed to it. That change is physiologically mapped in the brain through new synaptic pathways, neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm. Yeah. And so it's true on both fronts. With sin, fear will actually keep us from using our whole brain. Mm. And virtue will heal our brain, not just our mind, you know, not just not just the faculties of the soul and our conscience, but it'll it'll heal the brain. You know what? We'll just be clearer, less less foggy, more have a tendency to think with more accuracy, not have a disproportionate emotional reaction where things seem bigger than they actually are, worse than they actually are. Virtue is healing all of that, and it's healing it as at a physical level. Hmm. Oh, it's like body soul union is so part of us that we we can't even practice the guitar without our fingertips forming corresponding calluses to help us grab the strings i mean the things we choose change our bodies Hmm. and in choosing self-control i I watch my blood pressure drop i watch my cholesterol drop hearing my doctor praising me for you know these the the lab work on you know when i get my blood work yeah i like this what it wasn't just you know this is my bodily stuff this is my spiritual stuff i love how you put that when i pray this is forming synaptic pathways in in my mind and when i exercise that is a development of virtue that honors god yeah you know they, they are on different channels it's always united hmm. yeah yeah as you're talking it so like one of my dream projects would be um, finding a neuroscientist who has access to an fMRI machine or some similar imaging technology. Um, because so there, there's a great book, it's called altered traits and it's, it's a bit of a meta analysis of different studies on, uh, meditation. Right. And, and they're, they're pretty critical of, you know, a lot of sloppy science that's been done in the field, but they kind of go through and ask, you know, what, what can we actually say about the positive effects of meditation based on all this brain imaging and stuff that's been done? But so much of what these scientists are chasing after is non-Christian meditation, right? right? They're going after Buddhist monks and people who have been doing mindfulness forever or transcendental meditation and all this other stuff, um, which changes the brain. But it'd be really interesting, I think, and it would, I think it, it would both bear interesting results, but also be very validating to the faith to like get into a Carthusian monastery 
and like do brain imaging of the monks or like pull in some missionaries of charity, um, pull in some like Dominicans. And just to see that I'm, I'm sure that there's some like extreme adaptations in these people's brains based on um, really what, how grace has moved them into these extraordinary supernatural vocations toward, you know, toward almost being a hermit and living this life of prayer versus this extreme kind of charity and giving love versus this extreme like study uh, of, of the truth and of philosophy and theology. Um, so if there's any neuroscientists out there that have an FR, MRI machine and some extra funding, give me, give us a call and <laughs> I'll figure out something no. for you to do with it for a few months. <laughs> I would love, love, love to see that imaging myself because I think, you know, even where they get nuggets of truth, I mean, it, they're made in God's image. They're inevitably going to get some nuggets of truth, but I mean, apart from Christ, yeah. we, we can, we're nothing. The branch needs the vine for for its life and and i think a lot of times what's what's missing and coming full circle is that relational element that everything is based on love love of god love of neighbor a healed god image a healed self image it, it's all relation we're made in the image and likeness of a relationship father son and holy spirit perfect love you know so everything's relational and so often meditation is it's very, it's kind of a selfish endeavor. I mean, it, and they're making strides. They're seeing like the whole idea of like emptying your mind. Well, that's problematic. You can't empty it. The, the key to real meditation is focusing, yeah. you know, instead of having brain soup, focus on one thing. And it's like, like, you know, they're making strides. But again, for me, if you're missing that relational component yeah. of the human conscience, yes, it engages our higher faculty of reason where we can add, and, and our volition, our will, that we can actually choose something that's not what our appetite wants us to do. I mean, that's an amazing and dignifying power we have in the will, in human reason, symbol-making and creativity. But the conscience is also a chamber where we hear our divine summons to the Father. We, we hear his call. We hear the Lord, we hear the shepherd's voice. It's relational, it's communication, it's a two-way street. Yeah. You know, something that somebody who's just meditating and it's just them in their own head. You know, philosopher Paul Ricoeur talks about the problem of the self returning to the self, returning to the self to posit its own meaningfulness. He said, that's a completely sterile cycle because the self returning to the self never gets out of itself. You know, you need the other, you need the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and like related to your question about how would these, how would this imaging light up if it was a Christian in prayer and not just a person meditating with their own mind about their own insights as good as uh, nuggets as they can come up with. When you're missing the relationship, what would that look like in the image? I'd like to add to that, like, what would a word of knowledge look like? The gifts of the spirit, because they're, God is on the other end of that community. He's on the other end of that conversation and he's broadcasting. He's broadcasting in that chamber. He's speaking to us in our conscience. When we go into that interior castle, you know, where he lives calling us temple of my spirit, we go inside in prayer and listen to his end of the conversation inside our conscience, he talks to us. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the way he talks to people will be unique depending on their vocation and, you know, the organ in the body of Christ they are, but he's talking to all of them. Yeah. You know, and what what would that light up like in, in our body-soul unity in the break? It, whatever it, it looks like, it's not going to happen if the self is just staying in the self with its own thought processes. Like not too long ago, I was in prayer outside by the bird feeders watching the blue jays, waterfalls. I get a word of knowledge to go to my one neighbor's house. It's clear as a bell. I didn't hear it audibly. It was, I heard it in my heart, but it was crystal clear. I knew it was the Lord. 
So I went over to my neighbor's house. Somebody answers the door. I said, what are you doing here? I said, might sound strange, but the Lord sent me over here. What's going on in this house right now? I said, uh, dad's dying right now. And we are so comforted that God heard our prayers and sent somebody over. Can you come in and pray over? Hmm. Well, I didn't just get to pray over this man and his last hours alive, literally on his deathbed, but they let me speak in his grave site at his funeral. Wow. You know, and they, so no one can tell me that it was just my own thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, that's like, that's, I don't subscribe to coincidence. Now, if I was just sitting there meditating, thinking about stuff, like maybe I'd come up with good stuff, but that wouldn't have happened. That happened because I was in a relationship with somebody else who was communicating with me. And he is the one healing us, growing us. You know, this, these repeats of virtue that internalize and shape our character, that's what it looks like, but he's the one doing it. Yeah. He, yeah. the create, he's, it's all great. He's the one who made us in such a way that our actions internalize into habits. He designed us that way in the first place, that neurons that fire together wire together. He gets all the glory, and we're just the grateful beneficiaries of this gift. Yeah, that, that relational emphasis, I think, is key. Um, but being a body-soul unity, it strikes me that like God has designed certain elements of of our body for him to relate to us, right? But theoretically, it would be possible to activate that or engage that apart from being with him, right? We could potentially manipulate that system through some kind of technique or science. So, so I think this is potentially one of the things that I worry about if, you know, when engaging in non-Christian meditation or if somebody engages in an attempt to adapt a non-Christian form to a, a Christian lifestyle, that if it's not relational, right, and we're tapping into that system, so almost like a, like a kind of natural contemplation or like mimicking the effect of contemplation, right, that we could achieve some level of satisfaction without being in relationship with God, right, because we would we would simultaneously not have God and suppress our need for God, right? So it's, it's, it's a, it strikes me as like a very dangerous state to be in. Uh, and and I, I share that same concern. And apart from Christ, we're nothing. I think about the, the vine and the branches. Hmm. You know, if I'm cutting off the vine, this branch is already dying. Yeah. You know, because I can't supply what I need. Hmm. But Bishop Barron says that the Eucharist is preparing our lowly bodies to one day receive incorruptibility. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. We cut off from that vine. We cut off from sacramental grace. We cut off from God's communication and prayer. And I've heard it put this way, and this always stuck with me, that the theme song in hell is not going to be screeching violins. It's going to be Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. <laughs> you know, and that's what concerns me about, you know, the hokey spirituality. You know, people who want to get in touch with their spirituality, just leave the Lord out of it because I still want to play God. Yeah. And, and like St. Paul says, like, it may have a form of, of godliness, but if they deny the source, they're missing the whole boat. I mean, we 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 can't heal if we ignore the real source of human fulfillment. And the only one who can save us, if we buy that original lie that I will be as the Almighty, that I'm self-sufficient. If no, I'm not. I'm radically dependent on a heavenly father who provides for me. So yeah, I, and any spirituality that is apart from Christ or comes from something apart from Christ, I, I'm just allergic to it, you know? One thing I wanted to bring up was 
you'd mentioned a couple of times the mustard seed. And with that, um, I think it brings up like the power of baby steps, right? You know, it's Lent right now. And um, this will probably come out at the beginning of Easter season. Um, and I, I, I love this program and I've done it once with my men's group, actually a couple of times. But the idea of uh, like Exodus 90, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's this kind of like whole group of ascetical practices and you kind of jump in to like all these things, like jumping into the cold and deep end of a pool to some extent. Um, and th- I think that can work, especially if you have a lot of support and it's a temporary period of time, but like this long-term lifestyle change, the wisdom of baby steps of, of, of not overwhelming yourself, giving yourself manageable goals. Like I love that so many things on your chart, the goal isn't to put a sticker on there every day, right? The goal is three days a week or four days a week or five days a week or something like that. Um, yeah. So just that, that idea of baby steps, just one tiny little choice. Um, and, and there's a humility in that, right? Because you're recognizing like, Lord, I don't think I can do much more than that. Like it's a self honesty. Um, it's, and, and it, and it's setting us up for success. Um, so I think that that idea of baby steps is so powerful, and I and I guess I was I was kind of curious reading the book and then now having the chance to talk because I was I was curious like what do you think your next baby steps are? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think I need to do uh, more spiritual reading hmm. than I do. I know it might sound odd. I got a PhD in theology, but so much of my reading was homework, Yeah, you know, because I had to, it was because it was an obligation, you know, reading to feed my soul. It's, it's almost as though I don't do it unless I'm obligated to, you know, like at one of my, recent missions was I had to teach three of John Paul II's encyclicals. Well, of course, I dove into them and I dove into, I, went down, I followed the footnote trails and I was inevitably fed. It was a beautiful, personally enriching experience, loved it. But I, I realized it was because I was responsible on a contract to teach it. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't because I just wanted to be fed. So, you know, I'm seeing some needs for some more uh, spiritual devotions in my life that to feed my soul for for the right motive, you know, and I not just by proxy when I have to on a contract for a paycheck, but because I love Jesus and want to learn more about my best friend, you know, I I think there's uh, there's room for that in my my spiritual development, like it it shouldn't be so homework or obligation driven. Like yeah. in general, I want to be more driven by excellence than obligation. Yeah. You know, do something because it's excellent, not because I have to. It's just a totally different why. Yeah. Like, why are you at mass? Because it's a day of obligation versus because I'm in love. Those are mm-hmm. different whys. And when, when I start to like examine what's my why, a lot of my why, like even if what I'm doing is good, my my why feels immature yeah so I, I feel like i need to grow in my my why yeah that why is so i mean recently reading um dietrich von hildebrand my why was challenged a lot uh, just how he talks about value and how he talks about the sacraments and i realized a lot of my whys were in my own my own perfection right am i praying to be in relationship with the lord to give myself to my beloved or, or is this the way, just a way for me to exert power on my life and become a different person, right? And I realize that once again, I find myself in the center. <laughs> uh, um, and there's so many layers to that. Um, and that's one of, the, one of the baby steps I'm working on is just go to mass for God, not for me. Pray for God, not for me. Um, yeah. I want to leave the audience with that. Like that question, like, what are your baby steps? Because I think yeah. that's that's so powerful. Um, so if you haven't yet, go out and get Dr. Murphy's new book. It just came out like at the end of March. Uh, the title is 
The Road to Self-Awareness, a Catholic or a therapy book for Christians. Um, like I said, it goes through a story. Each one, he's, he gets into like a discussion where he talks about the concepts and then kind of an, an integrative piece that gets very practical, but also draws it all together. He's going to give you um, like a foundation, a framework, where he talks about a lot of the concepts we talked about today, about body, soul, unity, about prayer. Um, but then he also gets deep into virtue. Um, and it, it's a it's a powerful book to walk through. Um, you know, as I was reading it, um, I thought about like a powerful practice to do would be to like journal on each chapter, right? To, to sit down and like, like how does this relate to my life? Um, and, and I think I'm going to go back with some of the chapters and do that kind of journaling. Um, but, but anyone in the audience too, if you want Dr. Murphy to come to your parish, come to your school, give them a mission, come give a talk. You can go to dryanmurphy.com. That's D-R-I-N-I-A-N-M-U-R-P-H-Y.com. That'll all be in the show notes for everyone. But with that, I'll leave you with the last word, Dr. Murphy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you so much for having me. I love ending on that note of baby steps. You know, there's a difference between free will and willpower. Our yeah. willpower might be weak, but we always have the free will to make another baby step. Mm. And it won't be, there's no such thing as it's just one tiny little choice. Mm. You know, it, we, we commit a vice and the enemy wants to lie and say, I won't hurt you. It's just one tiny little choice. Or we commit a virtue. And the liar shows up with, that's not going to help you. That's just one tiny little choice. There's no such thing as one tiny little choice because that choice is shaping who we're becoming. And this is good news. If you're making baby steps in virtue, they're shaping a healed and happy you. Healing is inevitable because of who Jesus is. Just trust the process and give him the chance. And blessed Holy Week. Yeah, amen. God bless everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for joining me for Physically Spiritual. I'm grateful for every single minute of the show you've watched. Uh, if you haven't yet, please like, follow, subscribe, and share the show. Help others find this great content. If you love what you hear here and want to help it to happen, please consider becoming a patron of the show. You can do that by going to physicallyspiritual.com. There's different giving levels. And one of the great perks you'll get is to enter into a deep dive with me. So every month to the patrons, I publish a video where I talk about what I'm reading, what I'm considering for upcoming shows, my thought process and what guests are coming up. So God bless everyone and thank you for joining us.